welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Ezekiel 5 and 6 in the Old Testament. And the last time the message was titled, The Three Signs. So what we're starting to see is, you know, I just just love studying the Bible and just seeing how God used men and women so differently. Um, Ezekiel did a lot less talking, but did a lot of physical illustrations. So we're starting to see these illustrations, these uh, word pictures, object lessons, so to speak. Uh, today we're going to look at the razor, the remnant, and the... Uh, the hair, the razor, and the remnant. And basically, you know, we're going to see how he takes what God told him to do and breaks it up and makes an object lesson there as well. God does a lot of things to try to reach people. Some, some of us can listen and absorb and take it in. Others are more visual learners. Others are both. So unfortunately, God's people at the time were kind of hard-hearted. So he used different ways to try to reach the people through the prophets. Now, remember, this is 6th century B.C. history. One of my homework assignments was to just maybe take an hour and just pour through um, ancient history, Babylonians, the Near East, the Middle East, the Far East, how many kingdoms they had conquered. Um, Another thing I would ask you to do is, especially today, is do a, a quick study on siege warfare you know that's where before bombers and paratroopers and planes in order to get into a walled city they would surround the city and shut off the supply lines and hopefully again the invading army through a lack of food and supplies they would cause the inhabitants of the inside of the city to give up so there wouldn't be bloodshed on the invading army army's side we've seen this a lot through history not just in biblical history but Uh, 20th century history and, you know, other kind of things. Um, But we're going to look at this in five parts. I got to be honest with you, this, I've been teaching as a senior pastor for 20 years and did some teaching before then. This, these next two Sundays, (laughs) it's kind of, it's funny, it's 4th of July weekend, I'm looking at sparse and I'm like, probably the only time in 20 years that I said good. Because where do I hit verse 10? And you're going to see what I'm talking about. And, you know, there's so much context. There's so much history that if you read it quickly, you get the wrong impression. You have to go back to the context, the historical context in which the Bible was written to understand what he's saying here. So I would say that in my top 10 most difficult teachings this Sunday and next Sunday are going to definitely be up there. So jumping in, Ezekiel Starting with chapter 5, Ezekiel 5, verse 1. So the Lord, speaking to his prophets, as he's done all throughout the ages, and uh, he says to Ezekiel, And you, son of man, take a sharp sword, take it as a barber's razor. Very unusual. Pass it over your head and your beard, and then take balances to weigh and divide the hair. You shall burn with fire one-third in the midst of the city. Remember the object lesson of the city that he made? So you could see him taking a portion of that, putting it in the middle of that kind of clay 
illustration that represented Jerusalem and he, and he burns it. And again, the people are watching. The Bible tells us that the elders would come to see what he was saying so they could know how to lead the people better. Uh, when the days of the siege are finished, then you shall take one third and strike around it with the sword and one third you shall scatter in the wind. I will draw out a sword after them. You shall take a small number of them and bind them on the edge of your garment. Then take some of them again and throw them in the midst of the fire and burn them in the fire for from there a fire will go out into all the house of Israel. So the first out of five is the sign of the razor and the hair. And again, you, you almost can see, uh, like, he does these skits. Yeah, I guess when we all die and we go to be in heaven and we want to kind of meet our Bible, you know, historical figures, I could imagine uh, Pastor Vinny and Ezekiel having a good laugh. Because, you know, Pastor Vinny loves to, to do skits. So here Ezekiel is doing these skits, and I could just picture the two of them yucking it up about how they serve the Lord. Um, so this is what's going on. And the sword would be a very unusual instrument to shave with. So that would be the first thing to catch the people's attention. Obviously, as you're shaving your hair and your beard with the sword, you had to be very careful. It was also very unusual for a priest back when they had the order of priests to shave their hair and their beard. So this would be a very strong statement. To shave your head close to bald and your face, it would be a sign of disgrace, but also for mourning. Mourning, right? Remember, this is being spoken about a few years before the final siege of Jerusalem. And again, when you go into your history books, three major sieges of the Babylonians in the early in the early 7th century late 7th century BC early 6th century BC there were three times the Babylonians encamped around Jerusalem and it was pretty bad so Ezekiel's taken in the second siege he's prophesying about the third siege now remember Ezekiel is competing against the false teachers we have false teachers today too they say whatever but they're not speaking God's word and they're saying, hey, um, there's not going to be a third siege. God's going to come rescue us. Actually, most of them were saying Egypt's mercenaries will come rescue us. Don't worry about it. So true men and women of God will always be in conflict and competition with false teachers. Because we want to stick to the truth of the scripture. And they want to go outside of it for personal gain. Five things happen with these piles of hair. A third is burned in Jerusalem. A third is struck around with the sword. A third is scattered in the wind. However, there's a small amount that is kind of, you know, in hair, when you get your hair cut and it, it kind of sticks to your clothing, you know, you got to just take everything off and jump in the shower. But he's got a, some of these hairs are stuck to his garment. But that's what God is wants. That's the fourth pile. And then a little bit of that is taken and thrown into the fire. So you see this in five ways, these hairs are distributed. Let's jump in more. Okay. It says, thus said the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I have set her in the midst of the nations and the countries all around her. She has rebelled against my judgments by doing wickedness more than the nations and against my statutes more than the countries that are all around her. For they have refused my judgments and they have not walked in my statutes. Therefore, says the Lord God, because you have multiplied disobedience more than the nations. Remember, the, the wickedness that they were doing, supposedly being the people of God, having the temple, having the blessings, 
they just decline the spiritual declension that even the pagan unsaved neighbors weren't doing things as bad as they were. So it's pretty remarkable. It says, more than the nations all around you, you have not walked in my statutes, nor kept my judgments, nor even done according to the judgments of the nations that are around you. Thus says the Lord God, indeed, I, even I, am against you and will execute judgments in your midst and the sight of the nations. And I will do among you what I have never done and the like of which I will never do again because of all your abominations. Therefore, fathers shall eat their sons in your midst and sons shall eat their fathers and I will execute judgments among you. And all of you who remain, I will scatter to all the winds. So I was very excited to teach Ezekiel. I've read the entire Bible a few times. I don't have every single verse memorized. And then I hit this in my studies and I'm like, yikes, I forgot that that was in there. Remember, this God doesn't want this. He's, listen, at this point in history, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, if the people had repented and stopped doing such wickedness, this would have never happened. There's still warnings going out. Remember, Ezekiel is speaking about things that haven't happened yet. They could have stopped. And they did that at times in the past under King Josiah, under King Hezekiah. But they didn't do it here. So the reality is that during siege warfare, if you read your history books, these things are going to take place. Cannibalism. Some people would just, you know, prefer to just pass. Others do whatever they can to stay alive. So that's where we're at. I'll keep going. 11. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord God, surely because you have defiled my sanctuary with all your detestable things and with all your abominations, therefore I will also diminish you. My eye will not spare, nor will I have any pity. One third of you, now going back to the weight of the hairs, shall die of the pestilence and be consumed with famine in your midst, siege warfare. A third shall fall by the sword all around you. Babylonians eventually get through. And I will scatter another third to all the winds, right? The one of the many diasporas, and I will draw out a sword after them. Thus shall my anger be spent, and I will cause my fury to rest upon them, and I will be avenged, and they shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it in my zeal when I have spent my fury upon them. Moreover, I will make you a waste and a reproach among the nations that are all around you in the sight of all who pass by. So it shall be a reproach, a taunt, a lesson, and an astonishment to the nations that are all around you. When I execute judgments among you in anger and in fury and in furious rebukes, I, the Lord, have spoken. When I send against them the terrible arrows of famine, which shall be for their destruction and which I will send to destroy you, I will increase the famine upon you and cut off your supply of bread. So I will send against you famine and wild beasts, and they shall bereave you. Pestilence and blood shall pass through you, and I will bring the sword against you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Okay, there is good news in here. Just let me get to it. Be patient. (laughs) Two out of five is the explanation of the signs. Remember, where are we spiritually at this point? Let's look at context. We're at a broken covenant. When you look at Leviticus, when you look at Deuteronomy, and sometimes we read those books, and sometimes the complaint of somebody reading the Bible is, oh, it's so repetitive. As humans, we can be very stubborn. God kept telling them through the minor and the major prophets in these books, if you do these things, this is a a legal binding spiritual covenant, then your crops will supernaturally grow more than your neighbors, which happened. 
if you do these things supernaturally, you'll be, believe it or not, spared. All the pagan and the unsaved who try to come against you and sabotage you, I'll let you know it's coming before it comes. So this is an agreement. Here we are in Ezekiel. This is at the end of the road. Um, the broken covenant. Um, we're, we're actually centuries of God being very patient and long-suffering with the people. So this isn't just, hey, they didn't dress right for temple in the morning and uh, God's really ticked off. God's not a petty God. You have to understand the centuries of this type of behavior. Now, I just I do a lot of reading and um, I read biblical archaeology. I'm actually fascinated by it. They've even not only did the just the Israelites sacrifice their children to these false pagan gods while they were alive, but they also did strange things. Uh, they actually dug up homes that in the foundations found pottery with children's bones inside of them. They didn't even give them a proper burial, but because the pagans were doing weird stuff, they would uh, bury these things in their homes for good luck. You see that in, in religion too, you know, bury this statue upside down and you'll sell your house or just bizarre pagan, just talk to God. He wants to hear from you, right? So this is not minor stuff and God eventually had to draw back his protective hand. And you know who this hurt mostly? And he kept saying it, the fatherless, the kids who had no dads, the kids who had broken homes, the poor, the women uh, who were ostracized. So God's like, you know what? It's got to stop. It's got to stop. And how does this happen? It's slow. It's incremental. You know, people find themselves in very compromising positions, but it doesn't happen overnight. The human heart is wicked. We're sinners. That's why we need a savior. That's why we need Christ. We, even as believers, sometimes deceive ourselves to believing that something is good, right? We trick ourselves. Our motives are wrong. And then you find yourself at the end of the line in a really bad place and say, how did I get here? But if you actually objectively look back, you can see the, pro the progression of the declension spiritually. So it, this didn't happen overnight. This took centuries and it just got progressively worse. So let's look at the piles of hair. So the third, the first third of the pile of hair was uh, pestilence and famine as a result of siege warfare. Now remember, Babel, uh, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, you can find him in your secular history books, um, he could be reasoned with. They could have said, remember, Jeremiah kept saying, he was a prophet of God, he kept saying, I know what the false teachers are telling you, but just submit to Nebuchadnezzar, pay the, uh, the vassal state tribute. And he's not going to come in here. He's not going to hurt a hair on anybody's head. Just stop promising him you're going to do something. Then you make an alliance with the Egyptians. This is all history, right? And then he gets ticked off and he sends his soldiers. This kept, after the third time, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had had enough. He brought the supply line with his soldiers. He didn't want to send them into there because he loses soldiers in siege warfare. So, you know, I'm kind of giving you the context, right? And the military aspect of it. So this could have been prevented, but they kept poking the bear, as the expression goes. And Nebuchadnezzar was the bear. And eventually he was fed up. The second third fall by the sword. Well, they send the soldiers out there. They eventually get in. And there's just a visceral hatred of the people inside the city. And again, it, this isn't what God wanted, right? But God warned them and warned them and warned them. And eventually it happened. 
God didn't want siege warfare. He didn't want it to end like this. The last third, uh, he scattered, and you could see the exiles, whether they were taken to Babylon or just, um, you know, just ended up outside the borders of Israel just for safety. So from the land of milk and honey, they ended up scattered to become like Bedouins or, uh, or wanderers, never having any peace of mind to settle anywhere because they squandered their blessings. And in, in addition to that, in verse 4, even the little bit, the little tiny pieces of hair, I'm going to get to the best part, I'm going to save that for last, but the, the little pieces that were burned again, which was the, uh, the Israelites who survived the siege, and they were left with a, a burnt down Jerusalem, problems with their neighbors and stuff like that. So this stuff is amazing, uh, that it's just to incredible accuracy, this, it's predicted. Um, the first, verse 17 beasts, you know, different Bible scholars for some extraneous issues, they have different interpretations, which I'm fine with. Um, some people think that the beasts that he was speaking about sending was the Babylonians were like brute beasts spiritually. Um, you can also look at uh, how the ecosystem gets destroyed in times of warfare. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you know this, but in World War II, the, the, the Germans were going east and the Russians were going west. And there was this kind of back and forth. And there was a huge actual rabies outbreak because w- with the war and every time they invaded and they sent off the bombs, the, the, the animals were just scattered all over the place. So there was an incredible uh, outbreak of rabies. And I think it was in Russia, there was a, a rat problem, you know, through all the wars that the rats were opportunists, right? Um, so the beasts, right? And you, you can see this in many different layers. Much of the anger of the Lord had to do with the fact that the, is the Israel was put there. If you look at a map of Israel, to show the pagan world, the polytheists, the monotheistic God. So not only did they not do that aggregately, but they also did worse than their surrounding neighbors. They should have known better. Um, Now, don't get me wrong. There were good people. And we read a lot of incredible Bible stories of many people and, and pagans and stuff getting saved and understanding the true God. Right? We see that even with Jonah, grudgingly going to the Ninevites and they proclaim a fast. And these, these hardcore, rough people uh, give their heart to the Lord. So you see this all throughout Scripture. But the problem was the power structure in, in, in Israel. Right? And isn't that always the problem? You ever notice that, yeah, I, I kind of see this with our own country, How, why do some people want to get to the top? Why do they want to be in power? Why do they want to head certain agencies? Because maybe they like the way it feels. Uh, we're, we're seeing in our country an ungodly takeover in many positions of people who just want power, right? The culture is decadent. The power structure is decadent. God had had enough. So, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with our country, but the more this country pushes God out, pushes the Lord out, we're going to see a power vacuum and the power vacuum is going to suck in the wrong type of people. Where is that going to leave the United States? I don't know. So God's put in a tough position, right? But he's God. He can handle it. They break his covenant. Remember, God still wants all these pagan nations to be saved. He wants a relationship with them too. So does he show the pagans that he can go back on his word? No. 
Does he just keep letting, you know, uh, the, the southern kingdom of Judah, the Israelites, does he just keep letting them uh, thwart the Babylonians and commit these atrocities? We're actually going to see next Sunday some of the details of the atrocities they had committed. Um, and, and even in the temple, the images, the demonic images that were set up in God's house, right? I think the, the worst type of thing that we can see in our culture is clergy abuse. I'm just going to go there. You know, when you read about these stories about the lawsuits and the, the investigations of things that happen in a house of God, what kind of person does that? Do you have no fear of God when you're supposed to be representing him? Has anything changed in thousands of years? This, this was written 2,500 years ago, and we can still see applications today. You know, and, and people do this. They, they read this and go, well, how could a loving God... But they're the same people that say, I see injustice. There's no justice. You can't have it both ways. If you don't like injustice and God brings justice, oh, you know, that's too harsh. Well, which is it? Which side are you on? Right? It, Jesus spoke about this with John the Baptist and Jesus. They came very different in different ways and manners. And people do that in their culture today. They criticize God. Well, he, he ignores this. But then when he deals with it, they go, well, that was too harsh. Well, what do you do? You want to be God, you want to, do you want to fill out an application online to be God's counselor? You know, his, his PR person? Come on. You know? So God is long-suffering, but eventually he has to deal with these issues. This is interesting. The Bible tells us that 1 Peter 4 tells us that judgment starts with the house of God, with us. Warren Wearsby said about Ephesus, the church of Ephesus in Revelation, he said, quote, Jesus warned the church of Ephesus that if they refused to repent, they would lose their light. Religious hypocrisy to the max. You better knock it off because God is not going to be mocked. You know, um, listen, there are some that refuse to come to God because of his representatives, whether it's clergy or just people sitting in the pews. And I've heard stories over the years. Uh, I actually took over a church. Uh, very, this church is very different. 20 years ago, I was still a police officer, and the former pastor had to leave, not, in, not for good reasons. So I was given the, you know, the probationary period and eventually the permanent uh, position. And he had cultivated a lot of bad people in the church. Thank God I look out at this church and oh, 20 years later, it's so different. But the church was so bad that I was considering quitting. And I'm like, where do these people come from? You know, and there's a lot of good people that are still here. Uh, but I, after service, I would go home, put on my uniform. I was a police officer, put on my gun belt and gleefully get into the police car and wait for the calls to come over the radios about a robbery or whatever. I, I actually found comfort dealing with the, the unsaved world and even the criminal element. I'm like, these people treat me better than some in the church. Some of you are like, that's insane. Listen, people can deceive themselves. They can call themselves whatever. Jews, Christians, Muslims, they can call themselves whatever they want and be completely hypocritical and do things that God would not want. Amen? So, you know, I would even pray, Lord, I'm struggling with the fact that some of your people or those that call themselves your people can be so wicked 
and they weren't even trying to kill me. You know what I'm saying? So imagine this situation. And listen, there's churches in the area. Some of you um, have told me stories about just dysfunctional churches where horrible things are happening, but God's word's not getting out. What happens when a, a new person walks in? Do they see love in the church? Do they feel welcomed? Or do they go, man, I never want to step foot in a church again? So... I don't know about you, but I'm good with this scripture. I really am. I like that, that God is long-suffering, but then he eventually deals with, with, with wickedness, no matter who's committing it. The prophet Jeremiah, here's another thing. I, I love history. So the prophet Jeremiah is telling the Israelites in the southern kingdom, I know what the false prophets are telling you, but I am a prophet of God. And you have to stop repelling the Babylonians. Just do what they ask you to do. And God will get you through this. So they beat him up. They threw him in a cistern. They left them without food and water. Do you know that when the Babylonians came in, these brute beasts, ungodly people, that the generals found Jeremiah and, oh, this is, this is, they knew he was a prophet of God. Word gets around. And they actually said to Jeremiah, they cleaned him up, they gave him food and said, listen, you can stay here in Jerusalem if you like, or you can go to Babylon. Whatever you want, Jeremiah, we'll take care of you. So the pagans, warriors, soldiers treated him better than his own people. So I don't think I have to beat a dead horse with this point, um, but you get the picture, don't you? Now, you shouldn't use the excuse, and I hear this, well, churches are filled with hypocrites, therefore I'm not coming to church. That's problematic. Find a good church. There's plenty of them out there. You know, that's, that's also a cop-out. Verse chapter 6, 1 through 7. Now, the, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward the mountains of Israel. So we're going outside the city now. God, he's got a problem with the city. He's also got a problem with the suburbs. He's going to deal with wickedness everywhere, Right. Uh, And prophesy against them and say, O mounds of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to the mounds, to the hills, to the ravines, to the valleys. Indeed, I even I will bring a sword against you and I will destroy your high places. I'm going to explain. Then your altar shall be desolate. Your incense altar shall be broken. And I will cast down your slain men before your idols. And I will lay the corpses of the children of Israel, meaning the adults who did these things, before their idols, and I will scatter your bones all around your altars. And in all your dwelling places, the city shall be laid waste, and the high places shall be desolate, so that your altars may be laid waste and made desolate, your idols may be broken and made to cease, to stop. Your incense altars may be, may be cut down, and your works may be abolished. The slain shall fall in your midst, you shall know that I am the Lord. Again, three out of five. The destruction of the high places. Now, this is the place where the Israelites forsook God and put up these weird, freakish, um, animal-like, hybrid people, just these demonic things, and they started worshiping them. So what happened? Babylonians come in. They also destroy the places of idolatry and the worshipers. Anybody who's around there worshiping? This is interesting. And this is what happens when you get yourself into trouble you don't realize how bad the trouble is that you're getting into. Because I love history so much, there was a pagan superstition in these days, and there still is to some extent. When you're conquering a people, you need to destroy their gods and goddesses and the worshipers you've conquered. Interesting, isn't it? 
So they wanted to make sure that, because they were pagans too, they didn't know the real God, they wanted to make sure that they could destroy the sites and the people worshipping them so they couldn't summon those gods and goddesses anymore and drive the Babylonians out. Isn't that interesting? So had the nation been worshipping the true God, that, would have, that wouldn't have happened either. That wouldn't have happened either. So in a strange twist of fate, Babylon became an instrument of judgment or consequences. So God says, I will do, I will do. But he's basically saying judgment is going to come and it would come through the Babylonians. And you see sometimes in the scripture where God speaks about a leader, whether it be, I believe, uh, Cyrus, the Persian and other leaders were spoken about in the scripture. And he said, I will use them as my instrument. Right. Um, so Cyrus was a conqueror, etc., and you can see that uh, sometime later in history. So we're we're before that. <laughs> so the, the the pagans figured this out. I don't know if it's I, I, I'm fascinated by this. The pagans figured out this, and we see this all throughout the Bible. We're trying to get in. You know, we want to conquer these people. We just can't do it. Well, and this was a former time period when the Israelites who were trying to conquer are worshiping their God. There's almost like a force field. We can't get in. And when we do, our armies eventually fight with each other. This is history. They also figured out when give them a little time. When the Israelites turn their back on their God, they become weak. It's almost like the Samson uh, complex, isn't it? In a spiritual sense. And then we'll go in and we'll destroy them. So in a way, there was a witness to the pagan gods that the true God really existed because this is what they they figured out in their minds because they're strategists, aren't they? They're armies. They figured this stuff out. Just give them some time. Let's send in some people that'll come in and introduce these uh, weird uh, cults and doctrines. We'll weaken them spiritually and then we'll come in and that's exactly what they did. There is so much more than what I'm reading to you right now. Now, for you guys, it's a learning curve. It's my job to do the research. But for the people back then, they knew. Whether it was the Babylonians or the Israelites, they totally got this stuff. <laughs> this, this is just so deep. I could be up here by myself, you know. I just love history. I love just proving the Bible through history. All right, where was I? It's fun. Okay. Isn't it amazing that sometimes the ungodly can come to a better conclusion than believers who've lost their way? Right? Don't we see this in reality? If you've lived long enough, you've seen this. Ironically enough, the pagans knew that the true God existed. That's why when they broke in, they took such good care of Jeremiah. Because what? They knew he was the real deal. Let's find the real prophets, whatever you guys want, where everything else is destroyed. God will get salvation to the unsaved world, whether with us or without us. And folks, when I get to the part about the remnant, we should desire to be the remnant. I'm going to get to that. Verse 8, continuing on, he says, actually, uh, no, I'm going to go to 11. Because I'm going to take this, I'm going to juxtapose the later scriptures earlier because I want to leave on a high note. All right, so... Don't, don't, don't turn off the computer yet. We're going to get to the high note. So skipping 8 through 10, I'm going to come back to. Thus says the Lord God, pound your fists and stamp your feet. And, and say, alas, for all the evil abominations of the house of Israel. For they shall be fall by the sword, by famine and pestilence. You know what's interesting about this? The ones who 
their hearts were softened by Ezekiel's words, they became the little hairs on the hem of the garment. So there were people who were listening and who said, listen, I don't care what the king is doing. I don't care what his spiritual advisors are doing. I'm listening to a Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And you know what? They were spared. They became the remnant. Be the remnant. 12. He who is far off shall die by the pestilence. He who is near shall fall by the sword. And he who remains and is besieged shall die by the famine. Thus will I spend my fury upon them. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. When their slain men are among their idols, all around their altars, and every high hill on the mountaintops, under every green tree, under every thick oak, wherever they offered sweet incense to all their idols. So I will stretch out my hand against them and make the land desolate, yes, more desolate than the wilderness towards Dibla. In all their habitations, then they shall know that I am the Lord. So four out of five is, this is desolation of the land. This is, this is common sense. So I don't really have to describe much of this, but I just want to say this, that if somebody is listening or somebody's here, if you've strayed from God, come back, come back. You know, before I was a Christian or when I was a Christian and I did some dumb things and made choices and I got myself in, in a bind, you know what? I look back and I'm like, I did that to myself. God wasn't punishing me. I made, I strayed from him. And you lose that spiritual protection when you stray from him. Here, it's so bad that God has to give them the details of the future if they go and they take that, that path. Last few verses, 8 through 10. Yet I will leave a remnant so that you may have some who escape the sword among the nations when you are scattered throughout the countries. Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations where they are carried captive because I was crushed by their adulterous heart. So not only did God have a legal binding agreement covenant with the people, and this was a precursor to Jesus Christ, but he also looked at them spiritually as he was the groom and they were the bride. He loved his people. And they committed a, what you would say is a spiritual adultery multiple times, over and over and over again, which has departed from me. And by their eyes, which play the harlot after their idols, they will loathe themselves for all the evils which they committed in all their abominations. And they shall know that I am the Lord and that I have not said in vain that I would bring this calamity upon them. Five out of five is salvation of the remnant. What is the remnant? The Hebrew word is yothor. If you actually look at it in a lexicon, it almost seems like a paradox or an inconsistency. So yothor means a residue, a residue. Well, you know that word. You're working with a chemical or something and you, I don't know, maybe poison ivy and you you take a shower, but you, you got a few little bumps on the back of your calf, right? There's like a little residue of that oil that you didn't get. So a residue will tell us it's, it's a little remnant. It's a little, little piece of the whole. So it's small. However, your thought can also mean to excel, to make plenteous, to abound. That makes no sense at all because a residue is small. But check this out. What God did was he made the remnant abound. He made them plenteous. Yes, they are few. You know, when Jesus walked the earth, he spent a lot of his time with the few, not with the many. A lot of the many would, they would want their ears tickled. They would want a free meal. They would want a healing. I mean, who wouldn't want a healing? But they really weren't interested in him or having a relationship with God. Jesus did his best work with the few, with the remnant. And even in the Christian culture, and I look at America and I see 
the idea of what Christianity is supposed to look like in the West. And it's, it's unusual because if you look at Christianity in India and Africa and, um, you know, China and some of these places, it looks very different because in American culture, everything has to be big and exciting and celebrity oriented, but not according to the scripture. There's a residue. What are people following? What are they going after? Right? Let me just say this, because it's very important that I say this. God was not at all angry at the remnant. He was angry at the ungodly majority. Because God is a fair God. He deals with us on an individual basis. Are we going to get punished for other people? Absolutely not. I'll say that again. God was not at all angry at the remnant. He was angry at the majority. It's important to remember. So, where's our culture going? Where's it going? Are we following everything that we see on social media? Are we following every word out of the mouth of celebrity Christians? Or are we having a personal relationship with our creator? Drowning out the noise, pushing it aside and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, I'm just, I'm willing you know, I, and I look at when I try to serve the Lord, I don't say you need me or I have all these gifts. I'm like, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he does. The, the guy pumping gas, go talk to him. You know, <laughs> I was working out in the, in the gym yesterday. I'm trying to stop the aging process, if, if anything else, <laughs> or at least slow it down. And I met a, a young man who who had made some bad choices and and did some time and he recognized me. Remember, I used to be a police officer. And I'm thinking in my mind, this could go bad, <laughs> right? But you know what? I always treated people with respect. And right away, I'm like, I said, I thought you looked familiar. And we had this wonderful conversation. And we're in the middle of the gym, and we're just talking about stuff. And I'm talking about God and salvation. And I'm talking to, I told him how proud I was of him. Like, he could be my son. Maybe I'm like a father figure to him. And what a great experience. I don't even remember what I was doing in the gym, but, but that made my day. And that was small. But to him, I bet you that had a huge impact. You know, I think we have to get out of the mindset that we have to do what all the celebrity people are doing. We have to do what the big movements are doing. No, we don't. We just have to be the remnant. Maybe God wants you to minister to that one person. You know, whether it's uh, an elderly person who's struggling with loneliness or fear. You know, or the person who is behind the checkout counter and they just seem like they're depressed, like they're lost. And everyone's just throwing their food at them and their credit card and they're on their phones. And you actually have a conversation with them. Probably if there's 20 people behind you, you should probably do it another time. But that'll probably cause them more stress. But do you see where I'm going with this? The remnant, right? The remnant gets stuff done. It was the remnant that came back from Babylon. Many of the people got comfortable. Oh, we don't want to go to Babylon. Oh, the Babylonians are horrible people. They get deported or expatriated. Then they're like, oh, well, we can adopt their ways, their gods, their culture. The gods thing is a problem. The culture's not. And then when God said, all right, it's time to come back and rebuild Jerusalem. No way, man. We're comfortable in Babylon. That's in the scripture too. God's like, no, no, I need, I need a, a handful of people to come back. And, and many of them were like, we're good here. We don't want to go back to Jerusalem. But he took that remnant 70 years later and they came back and they rebuilt the city. They rebuilt the walls. They cleaned up all the debris. Awesome. 
And sometimes I look out at this world and even as believers, sometimes we can get frustrated by what we see on the evening news or social media and we tend to complain. But what are we doing about it? And I got to ask myself that. Turn off the television. Go do something. Go make a difference in somebody's life. Right? That's the beautiful thing about the scripture. God is the CEO, the creator of all the universe, and he wants to use us on an individual basis. Isn't that exciting? I think it's exciting. So I'll just leave you with this. You know, sometimes we go through the scripture and we wonder, how could this book, (laughs) how could this book apply to my life? But once we start to dig into it, we realize that God has always had those faithful few, and it's no different today. Will that be you? Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m., and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.